0: Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 5th. I'm your host, Anastasia Glova. Today, our guest is Director of Information Policy Studies, Jim Harper, who, along with Jeff Jonas of IBM, authored the Cato Policy Analysis, Effective Counterterrorism and the Limited Role of Predictive Data Mining. In the report, Jim explains his opposition to the use of data mining techniques for identifying potential terrorists, which is the topic of today's podcast. How much information was available about the attackers prior to September 11?
1: There was quite a good deal of information available. It was easy, frankly, for newspapers, in fact, to say nothing of investigative authorities, to track down who had been where, who had done what. And there was a lot of information about the 911 attackers and how they had interacted, the phone numbers they shared, the frequent flyer numbers they shared, the addresses they shared, and so on and so forth. So had we been looking for the two... 911 attackers that were known to be in the United States to authorities, we would have probably been able to wrap up the 911 attack. At least this is the conclusion of the 911 commission.
0: How does data mining fit into this and is it useful in discovering and identifying threats?
1: Well, data mining came into vogue shortly after 911 as a response to 911, or perhaps better put, a reaction to 911, because it's probably not a well-calibrated response. First let me go into what data mining is. You can look at data analytics in two ways, really. There's link analysis. That's following one piece of data to another. So if you know the phone number that's been used for crime, see who has called that number. See what numbers that number is called. Following those links is data analysis. It's link analysis. And you can do this many different ways with many different pieces of data. Data mining is about pattern analysis. So if you know something about the type of people that go into a store, they own a certain type of car, have a certain number of children, read certain magazines, so on and so forth. Go and look for more people like that, and those might be people who also will come into your store. So it's not following specific leads, but general leads. And that's where data mining works, is in things like marketing. It also works in astronomy, and there are all kinds of scientific applications. But it's generally looking at patterns and looking to discover those patterns elsewhere. The theory is that this type of analysis could be used in terrorism as well. But I don't think it plays out because there aren't terrorism patterns to look for. With one or two attacks that we know of in the US over the last few years, maybe plans that we are unaware of, numbering in the 10s, the 20s, or even the 50s, that's not enough to develop a pattern of what terrorist planning looks like. So if you try to follow such a pattern, invariably what you'll do is come up with lots and lots of false positive. That is, you'll chase false leads, You'll investigate people whose behavior is perfectly innocent but looks to the wrongly created pattern as if it's terrorism planning.
0: Well, there must be advantages if security officials are pushing for it.
1: Well, it ain't necessarily so. I do believe that all our homeland security officials mean well. They're of good faith. But I think many of them don't understand exactly what they're doing. They don't understand that there isn't a theoretical basis for data mining, though they argue, let us do more research, let us do more research. Only in the federal government do you get something that's theoretically disprovable. But they say, no, we'll just do more research to see if we can overcome that. I think what I've done in in a recent paper that I published with Jeff Jonas of IBM is try to show the national security authorities that they're wasting their time Of course, there's a lot of privacy consequences and civil liberties consequences to have this much data in the hands of the government. But it's just as important if we want to change behavior to let them know that they're wasting their time.
0: What are those privacy consequences? It seems the kind of information that data mining gathers is very general.
1: Well, uh, using patterns is general. But the data used to create those patterns and the investigational use of those patterns is with very specific information and a great deal of information. So the Total Information Awareness Program, which a few years was killed off by Congress, planned to use just vast swaths of information about people's communications, about their payments, their health care, their Internet usage, just about every kind of thing you could collect in data Total Information Awareness wanted to use in order to search for what they thought might be terrorism patterns. The consequence of having that much data in the hands of government or accessible to government is, of course, the likelihood of abuse. Government authorities are imperfect, just like all of us, and they can and do misuse their power and misuse their access to information. We have plenty of examples in the IRS, for example, where IRS agents will surf the files looking for information about movie stars or ex-lovers or uh, spouses and so on and so forth. This would inevitably happen with great amounts of data accessible to law enforcement and national security. Not only that, it would start to warp the incentive structure that law enforcement and national security face. Speaking generally, their job is to find out things that have gone wrong, criminal acts and threats to national security, and investigate who has done what. With this much information accessible to them, their incentive structure would change so that they would start to say, hey, I think that guy Jim Harper has probably done something wrong let's go figure out what it is. So then they would dip into data trying to figure out what I had done. And eventually, in the vast regulatory state we've got, they would find something. And so it would would be very empowering and very inviting of corrupt practices among law enforcement, national security. So the best thing to do is to follow the Fourth Amendment rule that you search after suspects. You go on reasonable suspicion. It's not just a constitutional rule. It's also a good policy
0: your p a suggests that our national security agencies sharpen their focus. How do you propose they do that?
1: Well, the story of nine one one shows quite simply and clearly that had fire been lit before nine one one under our national security authorities, they would have found the two attackers in the country that were known and would have followed links to other attackers. so really, the energy that was created by nine one one has effectively foreclosed most of what might have happened afterwards. That's why we've been so blessed with no further attacks since then. Probably any other attacks that were in the planning stages have been broken up. But the other important approach gets away from investigation entirely, and that's securing the country against tools and methods of attack that terrorists might use, no matter who might use it. The best example of course is the hardened cockpit doors on planes. That prevents access to the cockpit by anyone who would do harm there. So you don't have to investigate people in order to protect the country. What you do is you focus on anything that might be used to harm infrastructure, to harm people, and protect against that kind of attack. So you don't have to investigate people broadly. You don't have to even investigate individuals to protect against them. And the best security is the direct security against what someone may do to harm anybody or harm our infrastructure.
0: This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.